This is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham, and Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 89, Third Space. Movie sign! <laughs> Thank you once again for joining us as we work our way through five seasons of Babylon 5. And speaking of five seasons, we're still not quite to the fifth season yet. We are we're, we're playing a little bit of cleanup on season four with this uh, commission for TNT TV movie, as Chip pointed out, Third Space. Um, so Chip, can you remind us when Third Space aired um, as compared to when it is set? Uh, because those are two kind of different things, which is why we have placed it where we have here. Absolutely. Third Space uh, was part of the two TV movies we talked about uh, in the beginning last time that TNT commissioned to try to uh, sort of boost interest in and ratings of the reruns that they picked up for Babylon 5 seasons one through four. This was shot first, aired second, and it was aired about three quarters of the way through season five. It aired on July 19th. Uh, 1998, and there was a big gap in time between the first three quarters of season five and then the conclusion of season five, and this was aired, sort of slotted in there. That's when it aired. When it takes place is mildly curious. Fuzzy? <laughs> mi- mildly fuzzy. Uncertain? Uh, uncertain. If you go to our go-to list, which is the master list at the Lurker's Guide to Babylon 5, the master list slots it in a third of the way into season four between the illusion of truth and atonement. As uh, Sheridan's narration in the beginning of the movie goes, it is right after the end of the Shadow War and before things start really heating up uh, with the Earth Civil War. They pause in between two wars. <laughs> uh, but the Lurker's Guide goes into paragraphs of analysis of just exactly when this happened, this episode <laughs> happens. Because. What? Nerds, an- nerds analyzed? There's important <laughs> costume controversy here. <laughs> because, uh, because Zach is the chief of security. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. So, so there's no Garibaldi, uh, and initially, as Zach was acting as chief security, he was still wearing his sort of green fatigues style security uniform. So there is a question in the lurker's guide's mind of whether this happened. Basically, Zach goes to the tailor, and Zach mm-hmm. is getting his uniform either created or adjusted. And depending on whether you decide his uniform was being created or adjusted is whether you slight, slot this episode in between a couple of scenes in in atonement. Or if you just say it's just an adjustment and you slot it in b- directly between the illusion of truth and atonement. Wouldn't that be hilarious if we were the kind of podcast who were like, okay, everybody, we, your homework for next week is to watch atonement up until the moment where blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, oh god and then the next week we would do third space and then yeah we are not that kind of podcast we are not that no. kind of podcast but we actually did i think briefly consider whether or not to watch third space in the middle of the fourth season and i think that that would have been just a little it it's mm-hmm. it's canon it, it it's continuity centered 
but it's not really Babylon Five centered. It's not when it was made. It's not it. I think it. Yeah, I think it would have felt weird if we'd actually tried to watch it in continuity. I I agree. I feel like we we talk a lot about the continuity of the show here on the audio guide to Babylon Five, but we also talk about the creation of the show and the context of the show. I mean, a lot more of that happens in spoiler space, but it's still an important aspect uh, even before we go through the jump gate. So I think. Because of the difference in the production style and the feel and and all of that kind of stuff, it really would have felt like it was sticking out like a sore thumb if we had watched it then. I think for a rewatch, um, like if I go through next time, maybe I will slot it in there. Just you know, kind of keeping that in mind because I already know all of the all of the differences. But for the purposes of a podcast like this, where we we have people along with us for their for their very first viewing, I think it's. It was a good idea to sort of split the difference between when it was set in continuity and when it was experienced by people in the 1990s and put it just in between seasons four and five. So I myself am am pretty happy with this decision. Shannon, what do you think? Yeah, me too. Um, And I'm coming at it from a point of view of sort of weird character deviations as far as like character arcs and what we learn about characters. Mm -hmm. Um, That if it was shoved in the middle of season four... Um, things would have really felt weird going back to regular episodes after that. I mean, you know, there, there's things that, you know, you, we, we learn a lot about Zach and Zach's leadership style um, compared to what we get in the middle of season four. Um, there's the issue with Lita. The Vorlon reveal just doesn't... F- I think it would have felt really weird if we had watched it coming so soon off the Shadow War. Th- this honestly mm-hmm. feels like something that would have erupted later. Um, it feels like the characters have a lot more distance from the Shadow War watching this TV movie. And it just, it would have felt off key, I think. I agree. It goes back to, it goes back to, you know, don't renumber Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And seems would definitely have shown. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some interesting things that happen in this episode that try to sort of paper over some not well not so much there's a continuity insert it's a fairly obvious continuity insert that strikes me as scene that was added to make the running time fit i think we all know which scene we're talking about um secondly uh but <laughs> but yeah um one of the other reasons that uh, we're watching third space now i think is that it's you know it's a standalone story that was greenlit when um there was no clue that there was going to be a fifth season. And yet, we are going to have a brief spoiler space section in this episode because there is some mm-hmm. stuff to talk about. Yeah, there is. Well, Agreed. speaking of talking about it, let's let's talk about Third Space. Uh, it, this is a story in which Ivanova springs a mousetrap on some raiders and discovers something huge in hyperspace on her way home. Whatever it is, it's bothering Lita something fierce. IPX Interplanetary Expeditions swoops in to help in the form of Sherry Belafonte as a confident, competent Elizabeth Trent. Soon, this artifact is bothering more than just Lita, and it turns out it's an ancient Vorlon mistake from when they tried to open the interdimensional door to what they thought was heaven. Oops. Good thing Lita still has some hidden Vorlon knowledge to help save the day. Um, so that's, you know, the first uh, proper B5 TV movie to be made. Um, 
But before we really get into the plot specifics, we have talked a bit about, you know, where we think it fits. I'm curious about how you guys think it succeeded or maybe failed as a TV movie, this format that is definitely different from the format of a, of a typical episode. For me, I, I had some issues. Uh, this felt more than anything else like... Um, as Chip said, a, a, you know, extended, a really extended episode um, that had the potential to be done as just an episode. Um, there, there were times I, I found myself checking out at times. You know, there, were, there was a whole lot of two people talking at each other where I didn't even have to watch the screen. And I would find myself, you know, looking down at my phone and not looking back up until there was something else to draw my eye. Um which normally does not happen to me in a regular episode. So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, once we got to like, you know, sort of the climax and the battle and, you know, trying to, um, take this thing apart, then I was paying a whole lot more attention. Uh, it just, um, it, it did feel like it dragged in places. I had almost the exact opposite reaction. Uh, I was not looking forward to third space actually, because as far as the plot's concerned and the the way it was made and how it was set and sort of shoehorned in, I was thinking that this was going to be like a, a comic book, you know, untold tales of Babylon 5. Or even more, even more literally, like a Babylon 5 novel or a comic book that's, that's got to be set at some point in there, but it's really not going to intersect with the rest of the story. So I was expecting this to be purely disposable. And I wound up being really into it. Part <laughs> of it is that Ivanova has a lot to do for the first time in a long mm-hmm. time. This is a really right. good Ivanova story. Huzzah! Um, yeah. Uh, but there are also, because if you got this TV movie timing, you've got time to work with atmospherics. You've got time to give uh, characters, you know, somebody like Stephen Franklin. He doesn't get a lot of running time in this episode, nor does Delenn. But because this is TV movie pacing, they still get good character moments. Uh, Mm -hmm. They get to be themselves very well. That bro hug between Zach and uh, Franklin at the end. (laughs) That's my everything. That was good. It it, it is. It is. Uh, Delenn is just delightful in her interactions with Sheridan. Um, mm-hmm. um, even though she doesn't have a lot on string, uh, on screen, Ivanova gets a fist fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, th- and, and now that then... you're saying that, Chip, now that you're saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think back of the times I was checking out. And I think for the most part, I was checking out when our main characters weren't on screen, when we were off in, you know, with the archaeologists or, you know, the maintenance workers or, you know, it, it, or if it was just one of our characters surrounded by NPCs, so to speak. <laughs> and 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 I'm gonna fight back against my wife here for the second time because I liked the I liked the NPCs here too. Um, I thought Sherry Belafonte was really good. Um, mm-hmm. She was um, B5's Achilles heel has always been guest casting. Mm-hmm. William Sanderson is comes back as Deuce. He doesn't have a whole lot to do, but even he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and, and we haven't seen him since Grail. One of the yeah. worst episodes of Babylon 5 ever. Um, I, I, is this an, a redemption arc? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but um, 
but the back and forth between Trent and her fellow doctor that she's got to make a deal with. Um, Two people of color also. Very uh-huh, nice. True. Uh-huh, yeah. That's true. Um, the Ivanova's wingman. The, star, the other Star Fury pilot. He was good. He was really good. He, there, yeah. There's not a hint of Keffer about him. I was thinking he's what Keffer should have been. <laughs> kinda, yeah, kinda. My biggest problem with this TV movie as a TV movie, since it is sort of an unknown tale of Babylon 5 kind of thing, is that some really heavy stuff actually happens. But it all has to sort of happen in essentially a week's worth of time. Mm-hmm. and the station goes through heck in a handbasket, and you see them cleaning up at the end as if to say, okay, <laughs> when we get to atonement, you know, everything will be nice and clean. And all this. But I think that this story is simultaneously too big for insertion in a season mm-hmm. and not quite big enough in the end for a TV movie. It's sort of neither fish nor fowl at the but at the same time I wound up enjoying it quite more than I expected to. Yeah, I I kind of had the same experience as you, Chip. I I wasn't particularly looking forward to it because I remembered my reaction to it being very much like what you experienced, Shannon. Like that was sort of the memory that I have had of, of watching it in in previous years. And and I was also having a really crappy day. So I was like, oh, I have to watch this thing. And I sat down and I really did get into it, kind of the same as you did. Maybe not quite as much, um, but it did It did feel mu- like I was just more swept up in the story than I expected to be. And it, it did feel kind of epic. And, and the you know, special effects were really, really nice. It just looked very smooth, the direction um, by uh, Jesus Trevino, which is now Jesus Salvador Trevino. Um, is uh is quite good in a number of places it did feel actually and i will tell you i'll do the little steven check-in now he really liked this it ended and he said that was very cinematic he said that was doing its damnedest to be a proper movie in its own little way uh it was quite impressive he he honestly thought that in the beginning really felt like a 90 minute tv episode like that it was you Mm -hmm. know just didn't feel like it I don't know. He said maybe the budget or something. Um, but here he said the pace was very cinematic, the feel of it, the direction it was all very good. Um, so it, I don't think I felt quite as strongly as he did about it. And that's probably because I was a little bit biased by, you know, previous reaction. But in the end, I felt like it was a much bigger success than I remembered. I kind of just sort of had third space in my head as this this weird thing off to the side, which is probably more because of all the stuff we talked about you know in terms of its placement and stuff uh than the actual the actual story itself there were i mean one moment that i particularly liked direction wise that that just sort of made it feel um less like a typical babylon 5 episode and a little bit more heightened was when you've got deuce being uh, uh not exactly interrogated they're just sort of asking him some questions and he's like i wanted to go outside i just wanted to go and he's just talking and suddenly you get this crash cut from his face to a close-up on zach being like that's it get him out of here <laughs> i was just like <laughs> that was so well timed it, it felt like i don't know it felt like a, a cop movie <laughs> a little bit so mm-hmm. so yeah i'm i think i'm i'm a little bit team chip here and uh and steven very very much is so yeah I'm, good job, Babylon 5 production team. <laughs> really? Really? I mean, um, I'd say the one character slash actor who doesn't 
sort of rise to the occasion, to my surprise, is Sheridan Boxleitner. I was going to say the same thing. Or actually, no, I was going to say the uh, the uh, NPC who explains about the main bot um, dying uh, that first <laughs> at the beginning. Like there's uh, this one woman who yeah, has like well, this info dump, which is very flat. But uh, yeah, other than that. <laughs> yeah, I think Box Lightner's his performance is uneven, I'll say. I mean, because like when he and Delenn are going back and forth, you know, those scenes work. Yeah. You know, those scenes work very well. Um, I'm act- and I'm also pretty happy with his interactions with Trent because you know that's the the box lightener or that's the Sheridan we've seen consistently um, as things just get worse and worse on Babylon Five that he's still trying to you know run his ship and keep everything uh, going as best he can. But then you know when we get to sort of the action scenes and and stuff like that, then it starts. And, you know, it may just been, you know, he had nothing to act against. I mean, if, he, if you know, he's flying around in a jetpack, there's, you know, not much to react against. Um, but, you know, I thought at points he was good, but at points not so good. Yeah. yeah when he was, quote unquote, horse trading. I did feel like that was uh, that was more at the heightened part. Yeah. There were a couple of bits where I thought he was doing John Wayne impressions. A little yeah, <laughs> um, but I don't mind when he does that because I feel like that's not terribly out of character for John Sheridan, you know, son of Rance Howard's character. <laughs> yeah, but let's also let's also uh, give him the benefit of the doubt, given when this thing was shot. Yeah, it was shot soon after the series finale, which was ultimately going to be held for the end of the fifth season, about which we will say nothing, mm-hmm. but. Prior to that, he had been doing this character arc of true of uh, true. throughout the whole fourth season of man on the way to becoming president, and now he's got to dial it all the way back to swashbuckling station commander. And I imagine he got a little lost along the way a couple of times. I can see that. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, I'd I'd like to talk about somebody who did uh, a much more excellent job. I want to talk about Ivanova because yes. you know mm-hmm. because of because of the the way that we decided to schedule this and the way that people originally saw it. You know, this is this isn't like a send off for Ivanova, but you know, at this point, we know that she's she's left the station, and this is the last time that we see her. And as you said earlier, Chip, this is a, a really excellent performance by Claudia Christian, and she has a lot to do, and she's really good. And the last shot that we see of her is is her walking in slow mo down the hall with the rest of her buddies and. I don't know. I personally feel like that's, um, you know, despite her excellent, excellent, sad, heart-wrenching scene um, at, at the end of season four, I like this better as a, as my final <laughs> final seeing of her at the end of season four here. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, and this was something I'd forgotten since it's been a long enough since I'd watched Third Space that I, I had forgotten just how much she was featured in here. I mean, you know, we, we jump right in. Uh, she is in the middle of a uh, space battle. She is commanding. Turns out she came up with a plan. Uh, and, you know, then, as you said, you know, she she is consistently, you know, leading. And um, she's, of course, featured as, I presume, because of the latent telepath thing. She's one of the people who is dreaming about this uh about this other people and is and therefore not buying a- it <laughs> yeah hmm? and not buying it it's not right. just that she's dreaming she doesn't fall for it 
Right. And she's one of and that's one of the pieces that's needed to start pulling the answers together. Um, And then, as you said, she gets a, you know, two women going at one another fist fight after she correctly deduces that something's wrong. So, yeah, it's amazing. And high kick fight. And her not being an archaeologist, you know, (laughs) the, the fight ends as you would expect it would. Mm-hmm. For sure. uh, you, you know she she she's a tr- she's a trained military officer. She she wipes the floor with Sherry Belafonte. Um, mm-hmm. The one scene of hers that I just found completely just so fantastic. It's a small it's a small little bit, but when she and Veer are in the lift and she mm-hmm. is walking off the lift, and Veer mentions the city, and she just does this quick heel turn, and her hands are on the uh, on the lift yeah, doors. Yeah, slams the door back open. Yeah, you yeah. know. Just, Claudia Christian is completely on point at every point of this episode. She's, it, it is it is great, as you said, Erica, it is a great send-off for her. And just to flash back, people would have been watching this in real time, they would not have seen her for a very long time. Mm-hmm. That's true. So it's it's yeah, it's a... almost a triumphal return. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Which you know makes me all the sadder that we don't have her anymore. But it was it was what a what a like meaty piece of 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 script and performance for her to sort of sink her teeth into. It's like, yeah, this is this is her doing what she probably could have been doing all the way through season four if she had just had more to do. More and, to do. You know, and, that's- and that's the thing that uh, this episode is Babylon 5 station centric. It requires her to be the commander. It requires her to be a, a fighter wing commander. And now we just sort of see how much the role depended on having things to do at the station. And JMS kept having to create new things for her to do to try to, um, to, 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 try to give her a reason it. to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I, in my, my wildest dreams, like it would have been so cool to have a, a, a sidekick show sort of at the same time as season four, where we actually just saw the adventures of Ivanova. So just like the day-to-day crap she was dealing with on Babylon 5 and, and how she handled it and her interactions with the other people on like that, that kind of side stuff I would have been all about. Like, had there been such a thing as a web series at the time, like, man, mm-hmm. that would have been. That would have been my butter zone. Right that there. scene, that scene with her and Sherry Belafonte and uh, Richard Biggs on the catwalk as chaos is happening around her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, so good, so good. Uh, but another person whose performance uh, I quite liked, who often doesn't have a lot to do in Babylon Five, was Lita. Uh, she she showed up uh, at the beginning, and Stephen was like, "Oh, she's in this one." <laughs> <laughs> um, and she really is in this one. I mean, I felt like you, Vanova had a lot to do, and Lita had a lot of very different kinds of things to do. Uh, you got to mm-hmm. see Patricia, Patricia Tallman put on many faces. You know, she starts off professional with you know the 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 two Jewish brothers who are arguing, and and then she moves on to you know crazed and scribbling on her wall to blank and intense in that sequence on the lift that you alluded to earlier, Chip, and later she's back about what the heck is happening and then we get her as glowing-eyed vorlon info dump fountain which i mean i I thought she did all of those very well (laughs) 
yeah, no complaints here uh, about Patricia Tallman's acting. Um, no complaints overall about uh, Lita's stuff, although there may be one or two things I'll have to say in spoiler space. Um, but yeah, uh, it was obviously since part of the catalyst of this whole thing being dumped into our space was uh, affecting telepathic powers. Uh, of course, she was going to be uh, ground zero for that. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely worked. Um, it was also interesting to get um, such detailed uh, backstory about how she managed to get to the Vorlons uh, to disappear long enough for them to do things to her. That was that was interesting. Mm. Uh, I do want to call out that first scene with her and the brothers, which I was expecting to be dreadful shtick. Mm-hmm. And it actually turns out very nicely, not just the way that she yeah. performs it with the, you know, trying to be a professional, but also dealing with the massive migraine that comes when um, Cthulhu telepath aliens <laughs> drop in for a visit. But the the banter between the brothers is well written, uh, pretty well performed. Mm-hmm. And then right at the end, as she leaves, the camera follows her, but... The one brother who hired her is just sitting there, just shaking his head, going 20 years wasted, and the camera just sort of leaves him in the background, shaking his head. That's what turns it from being shtick into an actual kind of moving character moment. It's a very, very well-written scene. I think JMS wrote the hell out of this script. Yeah, I agree. It was. I felt like that was a good, a good start because I was bracing myself for the you know going too far moments and I didn't think that it really had much of that in there it was just it was it was cute and it was funny and I know guys like that and it was it was delightful and then at the end you know that brother's very last words were how could I have been so wrong and I was just like wow that's that's kind of a a sweet gut punch the one thing that sort of struck me a little weird is that as Lita gets up, she puts a hand on his shoulder to like comfort him. And I was a little bit surprised by that because you don't generally see telepaths without gloves in the first place. Right, and even right. with gloves, they almost never t- they almost never touch people. So I don't know if that was just a in the moment sort of acting choice that Patricia Tallman did because it seemed like a natural thing for a person to do, or if that was supposed to be some sort of on purpose thing, like she is that affected that she's not even thinking straight and she's, you know, giving comfort to somebody with, with her open hand or and I know I'm thinking about this way too much, but it was something I noticed. So that's what <laughs> yeah. we're here for, right? For for me I wondered if that was, you know, like sort of you know, she, a few minutes later, she she staggers. So, you know, my my thought after, especially after seeing her stagger, was like, okay, she's having trouble walking straight. Um, Balance. Yeah, that was that was my thought. Yeah. Um, Speaking of too much moments, I'm dying to know if you all thought that uh, Zach and Lita in the lift was too much. <laughs> um, I think maybe just a little bit. I I really like that scene. I think it's just great. I feel like the Zach that we have seen and that we have known all along is very much the guy that we are seeing there in the mm-hmm. lift. And, you know, I I have had moments where I have started talking and realized that, that this is a situation that I don't know how to get out of. And, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to keep talking. And, oh, the hole just got deeper. Well, maybe if I keep talking, I will get out of it somehow. And, no. And I, I felt like that's what he was doing. And if it would have... If it would have gone a little bit less long, I think it would have been perfect and I would have loved it. I think it was just a hair on the side of being like really over the top um, 
So like it just it didn't end up really over the top, but it was a little bit closer to that than I would have liked. Uh, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I mean, if, if I were writing Babylon 5 fanfic, I would have been writing Zack and Lita at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a little too long uh, because I found myself, even though, you know, like, like Erica, I can think of times when, you know, this really happens, you know, that, that somebody is, has, you know, somebody is talking, not realizing that the other person has checked out or something's wrong or, you know, they're just that uncomfortable and don't know what to say. Um but I, because I wound up as I was watching it this time around, switching from paying attention to Zach to paying attention to the fact that, oh, my God, Jeff Conaway, how can you keep doing this? Bless your heart. You are you're holding on. Keep going, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. You can get through this scene. And then me wondering how many times they had to do a take because one of them broke. So, you know, because my because my focus got shifted from the characters to the actors made me think that, you know, somewhere along the line it was a little long yeah it's a it's 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 a little self-indulgent it's not quite the ivanova dance self-indulgent i think well no nothing is no uh but however many takes it took how many ever uh how much practice it required or whatever uh i thought conaway did a really good job with it um it is just a little bit too long and it's a little it's a little unnecessary. Uh, it's it seems to be slotted in for the fans that were out there who said, "Well, why didn't they get together? They seem to have such good chemistry at the beginning of the season." And it, it felt like JMS is giving an explanation when none was needed. Things mm-hmm. just sometimes mm-hmm. don't work out. Yeah, there was that. I just i i liked his. I liked his speech too. Just even from the writing perspective, the things that he was saying really felt like things that Zach would say. And and I noticed one of the lines in there was specifically, you know, not that you owe me anything, or you know, you right. don't have to. He he actually said that, which I'm in in today's political climate, like I just realized, oh, having somebody actually say those words out loud, like if I had been Lita and I had been, you know, able to pay attention to the words coming out of his mouth, like he, I probably would have swooned just just at right. that. And then like and then like yes, he does he does make physical. Con- Contact, he does touch her, but it's just very tentative, like touch on the shoulder, which is what prompts her to turn around and just stare at him blankly. And, and that kind of is what what shoots him down. But it's just like I had that I had that moment of, oh, poor Zach. I have always just thought you were so adorable. And I think you're even more adorable now. And poor guy. So I, I was one of those fans who maybe I wasn't clamoring for this sort of a, a, a concrete closure or you know at least explanation for why nothing ever happened um beyond the him offering her pizza and stuff in season four but i was i was glad to see it so had it been a little bit shorter i think it still would have been it still would have been perfect for me as a fan i was serviced it was great yeah um it's a it's a strong episode for jeff conaway too um Mm -hmm. i don't remember when he really started feeling like he'd come into his own as the security chief in season Mm -hmm. four this may be a little ahead of the game in terms of like strict continuity, mm-hmm. but it's almost a Garibaldi who kind of moment. You know, he, he, he's, he looks like he's been the chief forever and mm-hmm. he carries himself well. Uh, awkwardly staged uh, briefing scene where everybody's standing at attention, staring straight <laughs> ahead aside. Um, yeah, he, he covers it well. Yeah, every time, like even just when him, he arrives uh, at the a point of, of 
I don't know, there's trouble or something about to start and a bunch of his men are already there. And he says, you and you and like, you know, shouts out their names. You, you stay here, cover the back, everybody with me. It just he he really did seem large and in charge all the way through, which was which mm-hmm. was really cool. Agreed. Yep. We've already talked a little bit about Dylan and Sheridan, which is the only other major note that I have. And that is that they are so stinking cute. The the sequence about, you know, him lying and Minbari do not lie, then it's slander. If it's slander, it would have to be untrue. <laughs> and then it's damn inconvenient when the truth always is. Like, that's that was the perfect confluence of actors saying wonderful lines directed in a beautiful way. And I just I I could just take that little scene between the two of them and just play it on a bad day. And I think that that would really cheer me up. Your eyes That's say mine, 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 mine. The way the, yes. the way Mira Furlan delivers that. Yes. <laughs> yes, she has. And she doesn't get to deliver a lot of lines. I noticed that in this, a number of her, her I think, really good moments are simply her face Reaction. reacting yeah. Yeah, to the, the news that she is hearing or the stuff that she is seeing. And man, I don't know how she does it because so often people just go too far and, and mug or, or whatever. And every time she just hits it right on. Like that is what that character would look like in that moment, feeling that thing. And it's just, it's perfect. I think she's amazing. Yeah, I, I can't add anything to that. I, I, I love that interaction. Uh, there's like one or two more smaller interactions where, you know, the, whether it's they're all business trying to take care of something or, you know, another minute to have another interchange uh, that it all works. I don't really have anything else in the in the way of a Stephen check-in. Mostly his comments were just overall that it was really good and cinematic and he liked it. So is there anything else that you guys want to cover quickly before we uh, jump into spoiler space? Well, we are we do have this really the the main plot of this thing is actually <laughs> Yeah, there's that. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> and 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 it's a very straightforward plot. Mm-hmm. Find bad thing, bad things come out of it. Have to blow up the bad thing. And I've just got two thoughts about that. The first is that the execution, the end of the episode, I think falls a little flat just based yes. in terms of technology. It's not so much, it's not necessarily Jesus Trevino's direction as it's all got to be wrapped up fairly quickly and the CGI can't keep up. Sheridan's Spock in Star Trek one moment, um, <laughs> it just sort of, it does. It doesn't quite work. You, he's got to. He, he he has to fly in a space suit all the way from the station to the back of the artifact through it's a got space to, battle. Through a space battle, <laughs> it's got to be believable. Even the scale is kind of odd of the CGI of the human form, um, looking mm-hmm. kind of bigger than the spaceships around it. The end of it, I think, would have worked with more money and time but I th- but it doesn't quite uh the other thought that i have about the plot is that um i was wondering what you two thought of the whole notion of there is a bigger bad than the shadows kind of thing the 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 vorlons opening up a gate into things that are more powerful than the first ones or at least more powerful than them does that feel almost repetitive of the shadows themselves you know the 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 images of the uh the alien (laughs) city compared to you know zahadum itself actually that's one of the things that steven said is when you see like the a little bit of of the actual like tentacly things steven just goes these are the real space crabs (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just like so clearly he recognized the. No, they were shaped like goldfish more than crabs. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now it worked for me. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a universal truth. There's always going to be something bigger or something better if you keep looking. So, you know, it did not bother me. I I kind of rather enjoyed the idea of, yeah, there's something out there that's worse than Vorlons and scared them like crazy. And, you know, they had to slam that door real fast. So it worked for me. Some of the science, fiction science, you know, irked me. Like like you said, Chip, you know, the idea that Sheridan's got to fly through a space battle to, you know, carrying carrying a neutron bomb to, you know, fly inside this thing and set it off. Uh, yeah. And then get that, away in time. Yeah, getting away in time. Um, you know, the idea that, I don't know, it, maybe there were just like a couple of dots I would have liked connected a little more clearly. The um, the telepathy idea that, you know, this is apparently something that is only, you know, higher orders. Um, and the Vorlons had to work very hard to create telepaths in these races. There were some points that seemed disjointed at, at times. Yep, I would agree with that. I actually think, I do think that the, the choice to have it be something so incredibly otherworldly. I mean, we spent all this time with the, you know, the Vorlons being the, the, the super cryptic, you know, the ancients. And then we find out that, uh, that yes, they're ancient, but there are other things more ancient or equally ancient in the, in the first ones. And then we sort of get to see the Vorlons and the shadows as kind of like children with Lorian as the, the parent ushering them, you know, out of the mall in, back to home or to wherever. And and it's it's kind of nice to then be able to recapture a little bit of that feeling that I had before that. Because, you know, you have this this mystical sort of, oh, what are these things? And then we kind of, they're brought down a little bit. And Shannon's exactly right. There's always going to be something bigger and badder and older and more powerful. And I think the visuals, regardless of how reminiscent they are of, uh, of the shadowy stuff, um, I think the visuals really worked for me because... They were creepy. And I think some of those moments with the music added together with the unknown and just the vast amount of power and that creepy looking city and the giant, giant tower that's five miles high. All of those things together worked to have some moments that genuinely gave me a chill in my gut. So um, I think that that all sort of helped make it feel more cinematic it was it was it was a good move as far as I'm concerned. A good cinematic story that doesn't quite make it because of the technology of the time mm-hmm. yeah um the only other things uh, uh pluses and minuses um i liked that they brought the relay technique out again we've seen mm-hmm. them use that before in hyperspace to um capture or or rescue uh ships that are off course things like that so i liked that continuity and seeing that teamwork among um among the fighter squadrons um the other thing that that what bothered me, I guess, this time was in the aftermath. It really felt like, um, like Dr. Trent's, uh, the fact that she, you know, killed her colleague was just like kind of brushed under the rug. There's like a single line where she says something about, you know, feeling bad about it. And then it's all about, you know, what, what is she going to do next? And how are we going to keep this information from getting out? That didn't sit well with me. Well, there's a reason for that. Oh, tell us the reason because, and then I'll tell I you think, why I thought I think, it was the opposite. <laughs> I think Erica, I think Erica and I are possibly on the same wavelength here. Trent is lying through her teeth. She doesn't feel bad. She oh no. She Not she she intimated. She okay. Well, I got the sense that she 
I, I, I never got the sense that she was uh, being controlled by the, uh, by the thing either. I should, oh she no, just, she wasn't. I she didn't just, think she was being controlled, yeah, which is just, one of the reasons it bothered me so much that this oh. bo- didn't bother her. Interesting. Okay, I was reading it completely differently. Now that you say that, I do wonder if she had ever been influenced. Um, but maybe she had. Please, I, I think I think I'm going to still choose that my headcanon reading of it is that that in the end she had been influenced by it and that she really was feeling bad about it. Because I, I mean, maybe I just fall for Sherry Belafonte's acting, which is totally possible because I love her. Um, but she, when she says the line about you know Bill shouldn't be dead, to me she look she looked very very shaken and very contrite and just just really upset and i thought that she was so subdued in that sequence because she really was sad and this you know made her unsure of where she wants to go and what she wants to do in the future so i i really think that it has changed her outlook as a person and that if we were to go back and see where that character is you know 10 years later uh that uh, maybe she'd be working more for the force of good and being more careful that's that's my yeah. head canon and i'm sticking to it yeah i'm not sure i even have a head canon for it it just felt like you know basically you know whether she was being controlled by uh, the third space people or not, you know, there's a dead body there. And yet she's just going to, like, go off and think about things that just that bothered me. That's kind well, of I a... felt like that that was explained OK in, in the plot in the end in that they didn't want to give out too much information about what the artifact really was. And they they basically needed to... Um, to sweep Co- a lot to cover of it the up. information yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. under the rug. So because of that, she, you know, she, they were just saying it was a, a telepathic trigger that got a bunch of people to do things that they wouldn't have done otherwise. It was a mousetrap, as they said, you know, just like at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. So so that's why she's able to get away with it, because she wasn't under her own her own power, at least as far as uh, Sheridan is concerned. Yeah. So, and uh, that, otherwise, they'd have to lock up everybody else on the station, too. Yeah. And yeah. that is very much a post Zahadum Sheridan kind of decision, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, make it making a sort of real politic decision that, OK, if I push this, if, if I push this anymore, then we're going to have a lot more explaining that we really better not be doing. So we'll just let her go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another bit of continuity that I liked uh, was uh, Sheridan bringing up his uh, bringing up Anna um, mm-hmm. that, you know, he knew a little bit about the archaeological process because of his former wife. Mm-hmm. So I like that, except I didn't like the fact that within five days they should have all of that stuff figured out on completely alien technology. I was like, <laughs> wow, that's that's really optimistic, JMS. Well, but, hey. we've got to fit this in between a couple of episodes here. True. This right. Is true. Or even within an episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right between scenes one and two of uh, atonement yep. so move fast those darn tailors uh, well speaking of moving fast um it feels like we have moved so fast through these low these years of the audio guide to babylon 5 um and and yeah because your homework you guys for this next time is no compromises because we are finally getting to season five. Oh my god so yeah I can't, it's amazing wow i can't believe we're we're here already. So do your homework, people, and, uh, and join us next time as Shannon kicks off another year on B5 and, of course, also on the B5 Audio Guide, which is how we refer to ourselves on Twitter and Tumblr. And, of course, B5AudioGuide.com is our website. And we would love for you to come visit us there, chat in our spoilery and spoiler-free threads. 
If you think spoiler-free is the way to be, then do take your leave now, because we're going to head off into what we hope is not another dangerous dimension, because we are aiming for spoiler space. It is spoiler space. Thank goodness. Well, I mean, <laughs> we we've opened been, the right gate, you guys. Yeah, we've been we've been coming here all the time. So uh, I think if there had been some a- creepy Cthulhu-like uh, interdimensional bad guy beings, we would have discovered them by now. Yeah, that is that is fair. Now, as I have as I've said before, we are now getting to the point in B five where my memories of the show's future get a little bit more fuzzy because I haven't watched season five as many times as the rest of it. So I am, I'm looking forward to you two reminding me about some of what's to come. The, the, the biggest things uh, that I noticed are, first of all, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show about how this is, you know, Ivanova's send off the last time we see her. It's not really the last time we see her, but I wasn't going to say that before. Right. Mm-hmm. There is that. Uh I asked the leading question about how you all felt about the notion of something bigger than the Vorlons and Shadows, that sort of thing. Uh, I asked that question because JMS goes to this well yet again a few years later with with the pilot movie for the Sci-Fi Channel where he was trying to get another B5 spinoff launched called The Legend of the Rangers, which has the big bad being... An alien force called the Hand, a.k.a. the Hand of God, a.k.a. the Hand of Death, which are described as existing from before the time of the Vorlons and the Shadows, and they make the Shadows look like children. And I'm like, okay, we just... Third (laughs) You are repeating yourself. Come on. (laughs) But that's okay. You have Lita saying, you know, one mistake of so many. It's it's like it was right there. Yeah. Would you believe that there there was a uh, role-playing game company that had briefly the license to do a B- Babylon 5 role-playing game? It's called Mongoose Publishing. In the end, they just started making up their their own stuff along the way, and JMS wasn't really thrilled with them. They didn't exactly have a canon blessing. They said mm. that the hand were an offshoot of the third space aliens or vice versa or whatever, but, you know, <laughs> right. uh, I... I guess it's I guess it works for me here in third space, but it does feel a little hokey when it happens yet again. So I'm just saying that. That's fair. I'm that just is saying. fair. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I noticed uh, right away was you know we talked quite a bit about the the Lita and Zach scene and and yeah I just it still kills me a little bit that Lita most definitely does not end up with Zach even in the future. Um, because I just, you know, I feel like she's pretty way out of his league, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they couldn't have, you know, at least given it a try. I just, yeah, there's, there's a big part of me that is, is still shipping them even now. I am now trying to remember how little Zach and Byron care for each other in Uh, this upcoming season. Have to wait for watching. (laughs) Yeah. But I have a, I have a feel if I recall correctly, uh, Mm -hmm. Zach, Zach is jealous. That is oh, I, yeah. that much I do remember. Yeah. 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 Uh, for me, um, something that was coming to the forefront watching this was, even though it wound up airing at the wrong time, uh, it lays a really good amount of groundwork for, um, for, for the reasons why Lita winds up uh, breaking with uh, the command staff and supporting the renegade telepaths uh, 
you know, the, the thing that hit me was, you know, just as she's starting to feel these symptoms, it doesn't even occur to her to go to Franklin and say, look, something's, you know, I'm feeling really bad or something's off. It doesn't occur to her to go to Sheridan or Ivanova with anything until it's too late and she's in the throes and, and the grip of, you know, this thing that's, um, that's enacting, I guess it's the Vorlon side, you know, that's enacting uh, and trying to get her to deliver her message. Um, it just shows, you know, at this point, how much, how much she's been forgotten by them. Uh, so, you know, between that and, and, and also reminding the audiences of just how powerful she has become, thanks to the Vorlons, those two things, uh, it really pushes her character forward as far as what happens in season five. Yeah. There were hints and statements that she was more powerful than we believe. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we had those bits, but this actually makes a fairly direct statement of it. And I have to think that JMS was trying to seed a little bit, even though this wound up airing. Uh, well mm-hmm. past the telepath, the the main bulk of the telepath mm-hmm. plotline, I do feel like JMS was seeding the, the plotline in case he was going to get his fifth season. Yeah. Yep. And it worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing that I noticed was this felt like a dry run for the Max Eilerson character in Crusade, that uh, Dr. Trent is the... Uh, you know, hmm. she she's sort of the template for the shady interplanetary expeditions, uh, space archaeologist type. And I see a lot of the same sort of hunger and shadiness that Eilerson uh, demonstrates in Crusade. So uh, I think there I think that JMS did some R&D work and said, yeah, I think I need a character like Trent. I wonder if he actually considered trying to bring... Hmm. Sherry Belafonte on the crusade. I doubt she, I, I doubt he could have afforded her, but. Right. It's mm-hmm. that kind of, it is very much that kind of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if my headcanon about, uh, about how this affected her is, is correct, then that would just not be appropriate anyway, because she is no longer that kind of character. Mm. <laughs> Plants flag in headcanon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any any other spoiler space stuff? I'm just really excited to get on to uh, to season five and see how our control group uh, takes to that. I'm, Nothing's immediately coming. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it, I was surprised that we had as much as we wound up having to talk about in spoiler space because, again, it's yeah. supposed to be a self-contained story and they didn't even know they were going to get a fifth season. Yep. Yeah. Kismet, I guess. Yeah, so thank you guys, and thanks again to our listeners for listening. Please come back again next time for the start of our ultimate season of Babylon 5, technically. Uh, Until then, this is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham, and Chip in Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Babylon 5.